Hello and welcome to another episode of the Federalist Files. Uh, current events today, we're going to be going over the Daily Mail's exclusive study claiming that COVID was created by Chinese scientists. Hunter Biden's laptop shows some shady business ties, including Joe Biden. I point out some more cultural cancer in our society, and finally, some staggering inflation numbers. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm honored to be joined today by Governor Northam and by two great representatives of the Commonwealth, Congressman Laurie and Congressman Scott. And I want to thank, uh, thank you for all that you do to represent these service veterans because they're devoted to you. For the family members, the caregivers, survivors, or call Virginia home. I'm especially honored to share the stage with Brittany and Jordan and Nathan and Margaret Catherine. I, uh, I love those barrettes in her hair, man. I tell you what, look at her. She looks like she's 19 years old sitting there with her, like a little lady in her legs crossed. Brittany, you're doing triple duty as a veteran, a military spouse, and a teacher. So that's Joe Biden stopping his speech mid-sentence to look over at a little girl and say that she looks like a 19-year-old and that he likes her barrettes in her hair and, and she's like a little lady. It was just very... Uh, very creepy, <laughs> very creepy occurrence. Uh, hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in. As always, got a jam-packed show. Some stuff from last uh, weekend, kind of bleeding over now. I have this, exp and it's funny, right after I recorded the weekend special, this story broke. I have this explosive study coming out of the Daily Mail. They they got some their hands on an exclusive study that's claiming that COVID-19 was created by Chinese scientists, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing that the cognitive, uh, dissonance that, that we've seen from the media where now they're, they're kind of backtracking. They're saying it's because Trump specifically is racist and, and he's not to be trusted that they dropped the ball on this story. And it's not the only, I mean, they've, they've dropped the ball on many stories such as the Hunter Biden story, which we're going to go over a little bit later in the show. We have some more information on that coming directly from the horse's mouth, directly from, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop specifically. So this one, this is Josh Boswell. He's he's the writer, and this explosive study that was given to the uh, Daily Mail. It's a 22-page paper. It's authored by British Professor Angus Danglash and Norwegian scientist Dr. Berger Sorensen. Uh, it's set to be published in the quarterly review of uh, biophysics discovery. So it's yet to be published. So we haven't completely seen it, but Daily Mail has it. Uh, they have it in their possession. So this exclusive study, it claims that researchers found unique fender, fingerprints in COVID-19 samples that they say could only have arisen from manipulation in a laboratory. Now, the study showed there's evidence to suggest that Chinese scientists created the virus while working on a gain-of-function project in a Wuhan lab. So this this Gain-of-function research, which was temporarily outlawed in the United States, involves altering natural occurring viruses to make them more infectious in order to study their potential effects on humans, which I've, I've mentioned this before. I'm just trying to go over it for everybody. 
So according to the paper, Chinese scientists took a natural coronavirus uh, backbone found in Chinese cave bats and spliced it into a new spike, uh, turning it into the deadly and highly transmissible COVID-19. The researchers who concluded that COVID-19 has no credible natural ancestor also believe scientists reverse-engineered versions of the virus to cover up their tracks. Which, which is, that's a new occurrence that I have not, that I was, that I was not mentioning before. I was mentioning, we have not been able to find this coronavirus in any, any bats within the region, not even in the area that's, you know, 60 miles away from the Wuhan lab. We're unable to find any type of cousin virus or something that it could have mutated from, therefore making it much more from an origin that was created in a lab, uh, now, what they're saying in this study is it was actually reverse engineered purposefully so that they can cover their tracks so people could not connect it directly to that area there in uh, Wuhan. So it goes on here. We, th we think that there have been retro-engineered viruses created, Danglesh said. He told the Daily Mail. He goes on. They've changed the virus, then tried to make out it was in a sequence years ago. So, yeah, he, he's, he's claiming that they created this virus. So the study also points to deliberate destruction, concealment, or contamination of data in Chinese labs and notes that scientists who wish to share their findings haven't been able to do so or have suddenly disappeared, which isn't surprising with the Chinese Communist government. They've been trying to kind of backtrack. They've been trying to cover the tracks this entire time. So until recently, most experts have staunchly denied the origins of the virus were anything other than a natural infection, leaping from animals to humans. Earlier this week, Dr. Anthony Fauci defended U.S. funding to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, saying that the $600,000 grant was not approved for gain-of-function research, which we all know it was. It was approved. It was not specific. That, that's what he's doing. He's kind of doing the, uh, he's doing the Bill Clinton defense of, I never had any sexual relations with that woman. Uh, he, he's wording things a certain way where he can kind of get away with it. So yeah, we, we funded it, but we didn't specifically write on the paper. It was gain of function, meaning when they requested the money or, or the, the grant, there was nothing on the grant saying that this was for specifically gain of function research. It's almost like when you fund uh, Planned Parenthood, the money is, is fungible where yeah, okay, your money, we're going to say from Planned Parenthood's perspective, taxpayer dollars aren't going to abortion. We're going to take the money and we're going to spend it on something else and then we're going to move whatever money we have. Let's say, uh, let's say we're going to take that money and money from that we would usually use for abortion, we're going to take and we're going to move it over to our contractors on the outside that clean the buildings. And then whenever, uh, or rather, there's a better way to explain it here. We're going to take the money that we usually use for people to clean the buildings, a contractor to privately come in and clean the buildings. And we're just going to move that over for abortions. And then we're going to take the taxpayer dollars and we're going to spend it on people cleaning the buildings. Money is fungible. You can move it from place to place. So yeah, they're going to say this grant specifically is not for gain of function research, but really it's for gain of function. Re it's, it's anytime that you are funding something that's doing something that's, you know, malpractice or illegal, no matter what, if, if, they're, if you're using it to fund, you know, a, a contractor coming in to clean the place up, you're still funding a bad thing. It's, it's not like you are no longer funding. It's like it's not like you're no longer uh, you're not responsible somewhat 
or you didn't know if you're if you're funding to an illegal cartel and you're not funding them you're funding them to keep the cooks in the illegal cartel to make them food let's just say you're funding them you're giving them food to eat but you're still funding them to give them food to eat but at the same time they're legally purchasing uh, firearms and they're selling them on the street you're still you're still illegally funding somebody that's doing illegal business and and you know malpractice in, in the case of this gain of function research I don't know specifically if it's it probably is if I had to guess some sort of international law where you're not supposed to make gain of fun make these biological uh, weapons to take out on the population of your adversaries so I have this this article it's from the Foundation of Economic Freedom, Hannah Cox, uh, is the writer, the author. Three times Rand Paul has proved Fauci wrong. I'm going to leave everything that I refer to as always in the show notes here. This one specifically, it has a couple different videos where Rand Paul just rails Dr. Fauci, just destroys him. And for the sake of time, I don't want to play every single one because it would have came out something like six, seven minutes of him just destroying that dude. So I'm just going to list each scenario. There's there's three different times. So round one would be a schools. So in a committee hearing, uh, Rand Paul said, there's a great de- deal of evidence that's actually good, good evidence that kids aren't transmitting this, it's rare, and that kids are staying healthy, and that yes, we can open our schools. So he said this probably like last summer. Uh, Fauci vehemently disagreed with him, alleging that children could spread the disease as easily as adults and advocating federal regulations around reopening schools. Of course, the bureaucrat is going to call for federal regulations around reopening schools. They're going to do everything from the top down to the point where where now it's really not even federal. It's just we're running a national government, national elections, not uh, uh, regulations, not federal regulations. Uh, but a mere six months later, Fauci was singing Rand's tune or singing Rand's tune, uh, walking back his earlier comments. So we have six months later, which is around this time, uh, a couple months ago, maybe a month or two. Uh, this is what Fauci stated. If you look at the, I could do it in his voice. If you look at the data, the, the spread among children and from children is not very big at all. Not like one would have suspected. End quote. This was obvious, folks. If you if you looked at the mortality rates of COVID-19 and just the... Uh, transmiss the transmission rates as well for children it was just so it's so minuscule so minimal that the only kids that really did actually have issues with this virus were kids that had extreme comorbidities pre-existing conditions off the wall bad asthma um morbidly obese things things that like you had to be in a very bad shape as a younger kid which i can understand medical exceptions but we're we're making now the exception the rule we're making one out of um and the percentage is so low that it's probably, <clears throat> if I had to guess, it, it's maybe one in at least one in 10,000. It's probably even more than that, more who had real uh, issues from this virus. Mortality rates were so low for children. It was something like 0.01%. I mean, it's it's like one in 10,000 people really would actually have issues with this. And if those kids stayed home and let's say you know they did they did work from home in this case that would have been a much better exception rather than we're made the, we made the exception the rule we made what these kids would have to do because they have some special needs that we need to accommodate we made that the rule for everybody across the board which never is just never is good policy 
So round two is uh, masking. And everybody knows Fauci's flip-flopped on masking. So in March, the two doctors duked it out again, this time over the question. And this is this March, not last March. Because last March, Fauci was calling, saying that masks weren't necessary in this case. So these two doctors duked it out again, this time over the question of whether or not Americans should continue to wear masks post-vaccination. So this is what Rand Paul said, and I quote, You're telling everyone to wear a mask. If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? You have the vaccine and you're wearing two masks. Isn't that theater? <laughs> I remember when he said this. And then Fauci responded, here we go with again with the theater. <laughs> so they just went back and forth. They were fighting each other. But in the very beginning, the very inception of this, we've covered this multiple times, you have Fauci, I think it was March 8th, um, 2020 telling everybody now nah, we don't no one's gonna have to wear a mask uh, he actually admitted admitted that it was theater i don't know exactly the words that he used verbatim to explain that it's just i mean this this guy has been consistently wrong and he's also flip-flopped on every issue he's been so inconsistent that he's not worth listening to so next the covid and and this is the brunt of the story this is the the huge deal right now that the media's kind of dropped the ball on and now they're gonna they're gonna kind of slowly walk away from this one it's the origins of the coronavirus so in their latest matchup Rand Paul pressed Fauci on the story and demanded more information around funding the U.S. gave to the lab in question so he stated Rand Paul Dr. Fauci we don't know whether the pandemic started in a lab in Wuhan or evolved naturally but we should want to know Three million people have died from this pandemic, and that should cause us to explore all possibilities. To, to arrive at the truth, the U.S. government should admit that the Wuhan Virology Institution was experimenting to enhance the coronavirus's ability to infect humans, he continued. So Paul went on to point out a, uh, a grant from the National Institute of Vir Institutes of Health, the NIH, where Fauci works to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And this is what uh, this is what Fauci had to say. S Senator Paul, with all due respect, you are entirely and completely incorrect. So he, he denied the gain-of-function research and the funding in question as well. I mean, this, this lab was specifically known for conducting gain-of-function research, and we just sent them U.S. taxpayer dollars, they created this. They created this virus that, in turn, infected millions and killed millions of people in America alone. I think it's something the death count something like six hundred thousand. So that's that's always great to know. And and just to kind of touch on this this media inconsistency, I have this tweet from Paul Graham. He said some of the stealth edits that Vox made in this article to its article debunking conspiracy theories that COVID-19 originated originated in a lab leak between original publication in March 2020 and now. So we've so on the left we have what the um, it's really it's something else. The changes in Vox went back and they changed some of their articles in March 2020. And they didn't state any of it, and he was able to. This guy was able to find it. I guess there's, there's, I'm sure there's some sort of the media research center. I know they go pretty hard in the paint on uh, just how inconsistent our media is and how biased they are. So there's been changing to certain words in some of these stories. The Wuhan Institute of Virology is a real place, an exact 
origin of the novel coronavirus is still a mystery, with researchers racing since the outbreak began to figure it out, but already virologists who have parsed the genome and infectious disease experts who study coronaviruses have more than enough evidence to show that the virus is brand new and came from nature. So that's the original piece, the Vox piece. So the second part is exactly the, the very beginning uh, that they changed. And the very beginning is exactly the same. But that, that very last sentence, he says, but I already virologists who have parsed the genome and infectious disease experts who study coronaviruses say this, they have enough evidence the virus is brand new and came from nature. So now they're, they're, they have enough, they have evidence, but in the very first piece, it's they have more than enough evidence um, that it came from nature. And then the, actually the first piece, which I, I missed this part, it says when they came from nature, not the Wuhan lab. So they completely cut out the part, not the Wuhan lab, to give themselves more validity and more credibility, I guess. I, I don't really know. I mean, it's almost like, and I've seen this before, when people put out a tweet, this actually happened very recently to me on uh, Twitter. I'm not going to mention who it is, but somebody put out a tweet. And they walked back the tweet. They deleted it because they thought it looked racist. It looked bad because somebody must have let them know. So somebody else, uh, part of the PC woke culture, police, the hall monitors of, of Twitter, they took a picture of this. They posted it. And, they, and then they, you know, they added... The person and said hey look this was you know racist comment just so you know if you want to put it up again i have it for you like you know trying to be snarky about it and rude i uh, try to be sarcastic and now they're hailed by some of the twitter trolls but for the most part if you put out something like that just don't even delete it keep it up um and message whoever whoever it was if you were specifically talking about a specific person message them let them know you didn't have any bad intent you're just trying to crack a joke it's not the end of the world you know if the woke culture goes after you like that it is what it is but stand by your words i mean if you delete it you're gonna you'll end up getting caught once you delete it and there's just no point of you trying to walk it back because the woke culture mob they don't win until you are completely canceled you are destitute and uh, you are poor you have nothing left and you've lost your job. That's the only time that they, they and still they will not, they're not satiated by that. They won't walk it back. They'll just continue. This is how woke culture this is, how communism this is, how cultural Marxism works. So you're better off just, you're better off just standing by your words. And if anybody has anything to say, defend it and be like, Hey, listen, man, I didn't mean anything bad by it. I was just trying to crack a joke. And that's it. Simply just say that simply. And if you were specifically talking about one person, you know, send them send them a private message saying, hey, we didn't mean any bad intent by it. We we're just trying to make a joke. Most people will give you the benefit of the doubt in that case. But we have this weird woke cultural mob where they're losers. They, you know, they don't have they're not successful. So they look to gain clout and they also look to gain some sort of power by canceling other people. When they cancel other people, it gives them that entitlement or that feeling of power. And success, that, that's really just, um, it's nugatory, it's, it's, it's fake, it's nonsense, it's not real. So the next one here, a large group of them citing genome analyses from multiple countries recently affirmed in the Lancet that the virus originated in wildlife. The emergence of the virus in the same city as China's only level 4 biosafety lab, it turns out, is pure coincidence. And so they changed, they had the exact same thing written, and then they say, it turns out appears to be pure 
coincidence. So they went back and they changed their words up to make it look like they weren't drawing conclusions or assumptions uh, based on their own political intent. They really just got caught looking stupid, essentially. So Hunter Biden, and this is a huge story. Hunter Biden, once again, the New York Post goes goes ahead and he, they break this one. They have been going hard at Hunter Biden. They've been breaking pretty much all the stories related to Hunter Biden. Once again, created, they've been around for a very long time. Alexander Hamilton's actually the founder of the New York Post. I actually read, uh, I think it was my father telling me because he works in finance. I think he said Alexander Hamilton also founded, uh, it wasn't PNC, maybe it was J.P. Morgan Chase. Or it was Bank of America, I don't remember. But he was, like, I mean, Alexander Hamilton really just cleared the path. The dude, the dude was partially responsible for writing the Constitution. I mean, he did a lot of work to uh, help this country kind of move forward. Uh, so, so Hamilton, or rather, Hunter Biden, he had this dinner with Joe Biden and some of these shady business partners. Now, Hunter, Hunter's laptop reveals we have some emails from that laptop. Uh, New York New York Post piece, like I said, it's written by Miranda Devine, which I think she might have also broke the story originally, because that name kind of seems familiar. So Joe Biden, he met with Ukrainian, Russian, and Kazakhstani business associates of his sons at a dinner in Washington, D.C. while he was vice president. Records on Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop show this. So the dinner on uh, April 16th, 2015, was held in the private garden room at Cafe Milano, a Georgetown institution whose catchphrase is, and I quote, where the world's most powerful people go. The next day, Hunter received an email from Vadim Pazharsky, an executive of the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, to thank him for introducing him to his father. So Burisma, the company that uh, Hunter worked on his board, he, he made $88,000 a month working on this Burisma board pretty much doing nothing, essentially, he met with his father, and from the, from the executive Ukrainian energy, the executive of this, of this Burisma company, he met them for lunch with his father. You know, he got an email telling him, thanks for introducing me to your father. I mean, here's the email specifically right here. I have the actual uh, timestamp and everything. So April 17th, 2015, at 6 o'clock a.m., this email was sent from Vadim Pazharsky. Dear Hunter... Thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. You know, English obviously isn't the first language, so there's probably going to be some grammatical errors on this. It's reality and honor and pleasure. As we spoke yesterday evening, it would be great to meet today for a quick coffee. What do you think? Question mark. I could come to you office somewhere around noon or so before or on my way to airport. Best. V, and then it's written, you get some Russian language under that, or whatever the heck language they speak. So the guest list uh, prepared by Hunter Biden three weeks before the Cafe Milano dinner included, and that this is another event that, <laughs> this is another event that they also had some, had some lunches, some dinners with other people as well, that was also scheduled with his father. So this guest list three weeks before the Cafe Milano dinner included Russian billionaire Yelena Baterina. And her husband, corrupt former Moscow mayor, Yuri Lozkov, who since has passed away, uh, the husband. Batarina wired $3.5 million on February 14, 2014, to Rosemont Seneca Thornton LLC, a Delaware-based 
investment firm co-founded by Hunter and Devin Archer, a former advisor to Secretary of State John Kerry. So this Rosemont Seneca is really just a an LLC that was created to launder money through it. Uh, it was it was created very recent from the, from this date here. This was all set up to make money, really, essentially. Uh, th this is similar to how the Clintons have Perkins Coie. It's the same deal. It's just kind of an LLC. Kind of, they called it a uh, advisement firm or something of that nature. Something very simple to launder the money through and say that they gave some sort of uh, they gave some sort of product out to people. You know, people were asking questions. They gave them consulting advice, and that's what they're getting paid for. So the wires were flagged in suspicious activity reports provided by the Treasury to a Senate Republican inquiry into Hunter's Hunter last year by Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee. So yeah, every single time that there's uh, a big purchase like this or there's a big movement, a flow of money, I think it's anything over $10,000, usually the IRS kind of looks into it a little bit. So three point a, a wiring of $3.5 million is, is substantial. So obviously that kind of came out. So Hunter told guests before the dinner that his father would be attending. In one email, he appears to use his role on the board of World Food Program USA as a cover story for the evening's true purpose of introducing his father to his business associates. So this is what Hunter wrote. Okay, the reason for the dinner is ostensibly to discuss food security, end quote. And that's on March 26th. He was writing that to Michael Karzlutsis. Uh, son of the then head of the Greek Orthodox Church. I just think it's funny because he writes at the very end of this, ostensibly means like kind of like apparently, you know, jokingly, apparently. So he's pretty much setting up in this email, oh, okay, this is our cover, our cover story is, and he's letting them know, hey, this is a cover story. We're meeting up to discuss food security. So then, uh, and then this is Hunter's response. Dad will be there. But keep that between us for now. Thanks. So he's telling him, hey, listen, my dad's going to be there. Keep it up. Uh, keep it between us. Don't let anybody know about this. So then he replies, Carlutsus, uh, the the son of the the uh, the Greek Orthodox Church. Everything is between us. All good. I know you mentioned your dad would probably join the dinner as well. Quote. So there you go. And then next, now the Kazakhstanian ba banker Holtzman who's also going to be at this dinner, he, he emails Hunter and everything's off here. He's, I mean, his spelling's terrible. He writes deer as in like the animal deer, D-E-E-R, but whatever. So he says, Dear Hunter, thank you for an amazing evening, wonderful uh, company and great conversation. I look forward to seeing you s soon and, and to many opportunities to work closely together. So this is the important part about this, this banker Holtzman, this Kazakhstan banker. So Hunter does not name the other two Kazakhstan representatives on his guest list, but on the morning of the dinner, Archer was invited to a, and Archer's, you know, his business buddy, Hunter's business buddy, was invited to a small private breakfast with Kazakhstan's Prime Minister Karim Mazamov in his suite at the Willard Hotel. There are, and this is uh, quoting here, there are several matters the Prime Minister is eager to discuss with you, and he will be grateful for the opportunity to spend quality time together, end quote. So the following year, uh, and I guess that was an email from, from Hunter. So Hunter goes, he speaks to this banker Holtzman, this Kazakhstanian baker. Now suddenly, his buddy Archer, Devin Archer, He's meeting with the Kazakhstanian Prime Minister, Karim Maznamov. Okay, so the next. The following year, Hunter would describe Maznamov 
in an email as a close friend. The president's 51-year-old son had business dealings in Kazakhstan with an associate of Maznamov, oligarch Keynes Ragashev. So Maznamov's one of his oligarchs, because in these in these you know third world like governments they have these oligarchies, these powerful dudes uh, that run the government alongside uh, their prime minister. This Keynes Ragashev guy is now having business dealings suddenly with Hunter Biden. So Hunter's chummy correspondence with Rakashev pitching money-making ideas also appears on the laptop. So Rakashev's company, Novatus, used a Latvian bank to wire $142,000 to Devin Archer's firm, which is also you know Hunter Biden's firm, that Rosemont Seneca, which is how they launder the money. And they did this on April 22, 2014. So according to a currency transaction report recorded in the Republican Senate report, the wire included a note saying the money was, and I quote, for a car. So $142,000 for a car. Uh, so Mazumov and Rakashev appear in an unverified photograph posing alongside a smiling Joe Biden and Hunter, which was posted on Kazakhstani anti-corruption website in 2019. So this is this is kind of old news here. They're saying this is unverified. I mean, folks, you can check it for yourself. I have the photo here. Uh, this is, you know, Cafe Milano with two Kazakhstanian guests, the oligarch Keynes Rakashev and Karim Mozumov. Check it out. I mean, it looks, for the most part... I don't know exactly what these these two guys look like, but I know it's Hunter and it's Joe Biden, and they're at this location. Uh, if if you look it up, these two individuals, I'm sure you're you're gonna find this is this is a verified photo. Uh, at this point, the the media is covering themselves. They don't want to say it's verified New York Post, probably because they don't want to get sued. But I'll look it up right now, and I'm sure that we could probably find a photo of this guy. Yeah, he looks just like. <laughs> So that one there, I'm going to show it on the screen. That one there is Kareem Mazamov. And that one there, let me see if I can find the other guy, Keens Rakashev. And that's Keens Rakashev. I mean, they, to me, they look like spitting images. To me, I would confirm this myself, but they're, they're afraid to do so, obviously, because they're uh, the New York Post. They want to be consistent. They're not like all the other media hacks like the Washington Post that kind of just print stuff and then they ask questions later without verifying any of the evidence but yeah this one's this one's pretty apparent that these guys were at this uh at this location they were at the cafe milano it's really just amazing the hunter biden dealings that go on just no one has anything to say about it so what i actually have i have this quick video it's a montage of joe biden saying that he knows nothing about his son's business dealings and he has never had a conversation with him about his son's business dealings ever before uh, play five. How many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. And what I will do is the same thing we did in our administration. There will be an absolute wall between personal and private uh, and, and, and the government. Do you stand by your statement that you did not discuss any of your son's overseas business dealings? Yes, dealing I stand him? by that statement. So there's uh, Joe Biden denying all of that ever happened. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if the media is ever going to pick this story up, really, do anything with it and, and rail hard against the Biden administration. I'm sure they're probably not. This will just continue until something so egregious and so grotesque comes out from that laptop that 
they have to. They're, they they will for it will force their hand to uh, start to report some of this stuff. And what I have next, I'm going to get into some co- kind of cultural stuff actually. But first off, I want to state you have this court, you have the court, an appellate court, strikes down a racist Democratic bill. This is a Daily Wire piece. It's written by Ash Show, and it's quoting Glenn Greenwald's Substack. It's kind of like a liberal Glenn Greenwald. I'm having some tongue tie issues, uh, you know, like a tongue twister. So Glenn Greenwald, he has this Substack. He talks about specifically how some of this federal fund, these grants that they came through with, with this $1.9 trillion spending COVID relief bill is is racist in nature and how they strike struck down the bills because of that so he goes on he states uh, and i quote the specific provision struck down was part of the law's 29 billion dollar restaurant revitalization fund grant program for small privately owned restaurants struggling to meet payroll and rent due to the COVID crisis. The law, which was passed almost entirely by a party line vote in March, grants priority status to restaurants that have 51% ownership or more composed of specific racial and ethnic groups as well as women. By effectively relegating struggling business owned by white males or ethnicities and nationalities, included from a priority designation to the back line. The COVID relief program ruled the court by a 2-1 decision ran afoul of core constitutional guarantees. So, I mean, we're now getting to this point where because of the culture, because of this critical race theory crap that we have in our society, where we're coming through with racist legislation, racist laws that prohibits white people from getting grants and funding that's given to minorities and women. And white people are not white men or, or just men in a general sense. In this case, men in a general sense, whether they're minority or not, are getting passed by by ethnic groups that are women. Um, our government is now trying to incentivize racism. Institu- this, this is what institutional when the left always screams institutional racism. This is actually what institutional racism is. It's, it's literally it's written into the law code that makes it. In essence, by definition, institutional racism, when the left usually points to it and yells about it, they can't sit there and find a law, which I always say to people, I'm, I am 100% willing to stand on, on the hill with you and fight, fight for this cause that you, that you call uh, institutional racism if, if it's there. If it's there and it's written in federal law, it's written in state law, whatever, municipal law, it is written in code uh, and in law, then I'm there to stand with you. Uh, or if it's even even in practice, if it's there, if you can somehow, if you can prove statistically that it's there in practice, I'm uh, I will fight with you. But the left has found they don't live in the real world. They just make this stuff up. They point to numbers, and there's no context given, uh, and and then they claim it's institutional racism. In this case, this is specifically written down as institutional race. It, it is racism. It's a racist bill. Uh, so the Daily Wires. Married McCardle reported earlier this month that the program required white male restaurant owners to wait until applications for minority-owned restaurants were processed, a wait time of three weeks that would likely uh, see the fund depleted. So these people would have to, on average, wait three weeks and just see the fund depleted by others because they're minorities, they get the money, and then, you know, white males and then just males in a general sense wouldn't get any of the money in funding. So being a wokeitarian, this woke culture that we now have, 
And you know what? Actually, I'm going to go over this first. I have this video. I have this clip. And it's coming out of Villanova. It's a professor at Villanova extolling uh, critical race theory. His name is Glenn, Glenn Bracey, professor at Villanova, uh, Play 5. I want to say that the Marxist foundation of critical race theory is, at base, a spiritual concern. If you read Marx, you know that he was concerned about alienation, specifically alienation of the species being, that element of humanity uh, that provides creativity, that is unique to the individual, uh, that really gives us, it, it, it is what defines humans from animals in that case. And that Marx was concerned that our modern systems were flattening that humanity and, and alienating us from the creative endeavors that, that we were, uh, well, Christians would say, we were designed to uh, emulate and to, and to practice. So the core question for critical race theory is one of releasing people, especially people of color, especially black people, from uh, the oppressive systems that deny us access to our species being, including racism. It's Marxism, my point being critical race theory's Marxism is, function, is fundamentally a spiritual uh, concern. So you notice how there's just really no specifics about anything, they just point to some sort of cultural racism that's built into our society and, and institutional racism. These things are all things that can't be written down on paper. They can't be, you know, visually seen uh, widespread pervasively, but somehow they can be, they can be alluded to like this. Like it's just, it's, it's widespread. It's everywhere. It's permeating throughout our uh, society. And at least this Professor openly admits that it's Marxism in nature. So, so we have professors at Villanova, which is supposed to be like a re really well-accredited uh, institution, educational institution, college, university, what have you. Uh, they're they're supposed to be big time, and they have this guy teaching Marxism in his classroom. It's just it's amazing. So, this is a highly profitable business, by the way. This wokeitarian training, this BLM movement stuff, this diversity, equity, inclusion, all of this. This is a very a profitable business. I have this article from the Epic Times. I'm looking to find the uh, the author right now. Forgot to write it down. Usually I have it. Hat tip to Hannah K. That is the writer of this this piece here. So it covers. She covers briefly Pollyanna, which is this company that is a consultant that is in 78 different private schools that teaches this diversity, equity, and inclusion training to children and also to. Uh, to employees which i think it might actually just be going to employees no it goes to schools okay <clears throat> it goes to the students as well it teaches them how to teach some of these segments so it's a highly like i said it's a highly profitable business pollyanna's revenue according to the organization's latest tax filings nearly doubled in 2019 to more than four hundred and ten thousand dollars in income from services provided for over two hundred fifty thousand dollars uh 5.6 times <clears throat> that of its 2018 figure. So now we're looking at insane amounts of money. They've, they've nearly doubled what they've they've taught since last year alone, and then actually 5.6 times since 2018. So this is a new and up-and-coming movement, this diversity, inclusion, equity, all, all these uh, things being taught in our school system. So it is not uncommon... For DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion training, 
services to get handsome payments for their work on an April 20th article from Tablet Magazine reported that a consult consultation uh, called Community Responsive Education Corporation billed $11,000 for teacher training at San Diego County's Poway Unified School District, $65,000 for a keynote address and a professional development workshop series for the leadership team of Chula Vista Elementary, and $40,000 to facilitate the development of ethnic studies units and lessons at the Jefferson Elementary School District south of San Francisco. So this company alone made about 100000 a little bit more than $100,000 probably in maybe a week of work they go for you know they teach these workshops at certain colleges they give these addresses workshops aren't going to take that long maybe it's a day or two of teaching for these for these teachers so they did about a week of work they brought in a hundred thousand dollars in diversity equity and inclusion which to teach this stuff read the 1619 project and pretty much go in and just teach it verbatim is such an unskillful thing to make a hundred thousand dollars doing you're really what you are is you're just a race hustler you're no better than an al sharpton or benjamin crump or or uh what's the other one reverend uh jesse jackson that's what you are you're just a race baiting hustler and and that's how you make your money now so to get to all i mean we've been just continuing to kind of devolve as a society we're not living in reality um i have these crazy i have this video it's a tiktok video it's this girl talking about how she uh became pregnant she she holds up the pregnancy test saying she's positive and then she goes aha already a book to the appointment uh i'm gonna i'm gonna play it for you it's very just disgusting stuff here it's very reprehensible so uh play f clip one. Oh my god guys i'm freaking out <laughs> what am i gonna do I already scheduled the appointment. <laughs> I am what conservatives fear. So these are people. She's she's a person that's severely uh, handicapped mentally. I would I would assume or emotionally. She's not obviously in the right state of mind. She holds up you know this pregnancy test, and whether you agree with abortion or not, this isn't even really the issue. The issue is. To make it as if abortion is a uh, net good in our society, like it's a good thing, taking the life of another human being, an innocent human being, she makes it like it's a big joke. Everyone, you know, laughs at it. It really is some of the most revolting stuff I've ever seen in my life. It's, it's very repulsive. It's just, just like gross and disgusting. Uh, as, as a man, would you want to date or marry a girl like that? Like, in all honesty, you, you'd be interested in that? I don't, I don't know. But uh, she throws throws the prey for those that aren't watching on rumble throws the pregnancy test behind her she says she scheduled the appointment to get an abortion obviously and then she pours herself a glass of what looks like some sort of chardonnay or something and then she says i am what conservatives fear listen listen lady conservatives don't fear you we're already we're already here <laughs> i don't no one fears you we, we're just disgusted by you we think you're you're just you're just awful <laughs> i don't know i don't know what else that how else to put it no one no one fears you uh fears your existence we just think you're terrible and in the future you're you're definitely going to have some some woes mentally uh how you're going to have to emotionally handle what you're about to do what you're going through you don't realize it right now at this point but later in your life you're going to have to handle this and you're going to be emotionally broken from this this will be something that you'll probably regret for the rest of your life so uh, we we consistently we fight for 
we fight for babies, we fight, we fight for children in the womb, uh, innocent life, we, we fight for that. We always fight for innocent life. And your decisions that you make, I mean, we would love to figure out a way to uh, minimize and completely eradicate abortions entirely. But when you make in your personal life decisions you make, at the end of the day, you're the one that has to deal with that. We're not the ones dealing with the decisions that you make. We do what we can uh, to try to change the circumstances as much as we possibly can. But we don't fear. We don't fear you. Uh, you you are gonna fear yourself because you're gonna have to look at yourself in the in the mirror every single day, uh, which is just it's unfortunate. I don't I don't want anyone to have to go through this the the emotional pain from from having to go through an abortion. But I also don't want it to be propagated and extolled. And it's been like that in our society in our culture which is the reason why this girl thinks it's like a big joke and it's it's funny it's hilarious because it's taught also in our institutions in our school system because when i was in school it was taught like this it's almost taught like a medical procedure like nothing actually happens like you're not like as if you're getting uh you know a hernia taken care of or you're getting it's almost like you have some sort of weird obscure uh, growth on you that's being cut from you that's that's the way that the the media covers it. That's the way kids are educated on it. And the medical community kind of, that's the feeling that they have towards it for the most part, not all of them. So blues clues, I have next this, another thing in our culture, and this is indoctrination of kids. This is how we've gotten to this point. Blues clues has this weird uh, drag queen LGBTQ parade on its show. And, and just remember, we're showing this to like four and five year old kids, I guess, or I mean, preschool kids. That we're normalizing this type of behavior in our society. Uh, play five. All these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one. Hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one. Hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies. They love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in the big Marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two daddies, they love each other so proudly, and they all go marching in the big parade. Come on, friends! Families marching three by three, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching three by three, hurrah, hurrah. These papas are non binary, they love each other so proudly, and they all So this is, I remember when I was a child, we would watch Blue's Clues. Blue's Clues wasn't the way it's animated now. It was just a dude, I think his name was like Steve, and this, this little dog would talk to him, and he'd react to the, and respond to the dog, kind of teach you necessary, read, you know, uh, comprehension skills, or, or pronoun pronunciation of words, identifying, uh, you know, letters, things of that nature, identifying objects. That's kind of what you were taught. It was, it was much more educational now. What they're teaching is they're mainlining this, LGBTQ being an ally type, I don't, I don't even really know. Uh, so, so first off, there's there's five different families in this. I cut it short. First family has has two has two women as as the parents, and then the other one has two men as the parents. Then the very third one, I think there's like six different combinations here. It actually gets worse as it goes on. It gets more intersectional as it goes on. The very third one is a non-binary family, which you, you can't even classify if. If they are, he, she calls them, because this, this is actually, he calls them, it's a, it's a drag queen announcing and singing in the background, just for those that aren't listening on, it really is, it's a spectacle, 
uh, to say the least. They, she calls them, or he calls them, Babas because they don't even want to refer to them with any type of uh, pronoun, because then it would be, you know, intrusive. It would be terrible to do so. So it's just a man. I don't know. It's just this is what's being mainlined in our culture to our children. So this is something that's pretty much inescapable. The cultural Marxist communists are using this as a Trojan horse to grab more power to to shut you down. The, the whole reason for this woke PC culture is to shut down any type of dissenting views by just labeling you racist or la- labeling you as somebody that is uh, biased or, or what's the word, intolerant to others. And the reason for doing that is then they do not actually have to address your comments. They don't have to address your argument. They can just call you racist or they can call you sexist, homophobic, and then they can walk away and that's it. And, and they don't have to answer and they don't have to critically think about their own positions and their own arguments. Uh, you know, next next article I have. This, a judge delays the absentee audit in Fulton County, Breitbart News. So we actually had an audit going on in Georgia, Atlanta, Fulton County. Roughly uh, an unsealing of 147,000 mail ballots. The chief judge, Brian Amaro, he's the one I think that he, he shut it off for a little bit because... Uh, because there was a an appeal by the county clerk in Fulton County, filed motions asking the judge to dismiss the lawsuit. The plaintiffs, nine Georgia voters, will pay for the audit, according to the report. So you have the county clerk kind of back backtracking, attempting to shut down the audit of the votes, which is which is weird. Why is it that you guys don't want an audit of the votes? Don't you want a, a clean, fair election? It's very weird to me. And uh, the judge. I think he decided to suspend it for now. He's delaying it right now. And I thought this was very interesting. Fulton County received a grant $6.3 million in September 2020 from the Mark Zuckerberg-funded Center for Technology and Civic Life. So you had Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, he funded $6.3 million to Fulton County to help them carry out their election. So you kind of know where they politically reside. You also know because this county clerk does not want these these votes to be audited, which I think is very just, it's very telling. So the Fulton County Board of Commissions accepted, voted to accept a $6.3 million grant from the Mark Zuckerberg funded uh, Center for Technology and Civic Life for the Safe Elections Project, as they called it, on September 2nd, 2020, uh, in a board meeting. It proceeded without asking a single question about the name of the group providing the funding, the origin of the funding, or the details of what the funding would be used for. So no one even knows what the funding was used for. So as Breitbart News reported, a significant chain of custody, security, concerns surround absentee ballots deposited in the 300 drop boxes across the state approved by the Georgia State Election Board. We've gone over this a million times. Uh, Georgia decided through the power of the executive branch to change the rules of elections, which is directly unconstitutional. I mean, uh, all, all of these these six big cities where there was suddenly a crazy turnout for Joe Biden and there was no turnout like that for Hillary or Obama in the uh, elections beforehand. They've all had these same problems where there's been some sort of breaching and violation of the Constitution. So Fulton County uh, Elections Director Richard Barron told the Fulton County Board of Commissions how he was able to secure the grant for the county but failed to mention the name of the funding group or the fact that they had only one day earlier on September 1st, received a $250 million donation from Facebook alone. So yeah, this is this is just Facebook handing money out to people for grants, which I think is, that's an interesting part of this story. 
Uh, so I have this other quote from the the this is the Fulton County Board of Commissions. This is that guy Barron talking in the uh, the board meeting. He said, and I quote, I went this summer and sought some grant funding, which the BOC approved, which is the board committee, approved today for over $6.3 million. And we've also received $5 million in COVID funding. And then with the $3.5 million surrounding requests today, that totals $14.5 million more in additional investments for we're, for we're going to be we were able to secure a lot of new polling places for if we clean them afterwards, we got tech support at all voting locations, postage and absentee ballots that we have to mail out. So in Fulton County, Biden racked up a huge margin over uh, Trump, more than 240,000 votes out of 520,000 uh, ballots cast and counted in November 3, 2020, a total of 146,000 of those votes were cast as absentee ballots delivered to de designees of the Fulton County Registrar when voters sent them through the U.S. Postal Service or deposited them in drop boxes where Fulton County election workers then picked them up for transport. So what I think is interesting is you have about one-fourth of all ballots in Fulton County were, were through the mail that were absentee ballots. I just think that's very interesting. I don't know. So we'll see. Another, another inflation story. So this one's to end, and then I have some quick headlines. Fox Business piece. This is just kind of I get into. I like to get into my economics and what's going on uh, there because I think everyone should be informed on that. I think it's very important. It, it determines the way in which you should kind of move your life, whether you're going to move from one place to another or or what you're going to spend your money on. I think it's important just to kind of hear the stories if you want to read into them. I'm not telling anybody this isn't financial advice. I'm not telling anybody what to do with their lives. Do do as you please. But I think it's interesting that everybody knows kind of what economically is going on behind the scenes in this Biden administration because the media likes to make it like it's all about Trump all the time. So we have inflation over all items over the past year has increased 4.2%. This is written by Audrey Conklin. Uh, this article comes from Fox Business. So they're talking about specifically this guy with the last name Nikhil and how he's have some issues. He, he runs his own little restaurant gig and he's sharing the news of how expensive things have, have uh, the raising in prices for some of the goods that he buys. So he said that prices for a brisket are up 85, 185%, which is almost three times. 70% uh, for chicken breast, it's up 100% for fryer oil, which makes sense because oil's been going up. And glove prices have consistently been up 300% for more than a year now. So, so generally anything, everything's going to go up because of oil prices to begin with going up just to transport goods from one place to another. So this is what he had to say. Stated, and I quote, people see an increase in prices of meat at the grocery store, but by and large, they don't see oil prices. They don't see glove prices, and no one wants to hear that your burger is an extra dollar because gloves cost more money, end quote. Yeah, to make these gloves, you need oil also additionally to make these gloves. I think that's kind of what he's alluding to here. So, inflation across all items has grown 4.2% over the last 12 months, the largest increase since 2008, which there was kind of like a little economic recession there as well, with the housing market boom, or the housing market uh, bubble. So, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the Consumer Price Index Summary released May 12th, the General Food Index has surged 2.4% year over year, and the Food Away From Home Index has increased 1.2%. The gasoline index, meanwhile, has increased 47.9% in the last 12 months. Uh, shelter and transportation service-related inflation has also gone up. 
which that all goes up with the oil price as well, obviously. So owners and restaurant consultants blame the price increases on a high on a number of different factors, including a severe labor shortage and resulting wage inflation, higher gas prices, increased demand now that people are eating out more often, high delivery fees for apps like Uber Eats and more. So yeah, if you're a small business owner right now, you are getting just demolished. Uh, if you're a small business owner and you work in the industry of, of being a, to begin with, to run a restaurant, the amount of work, because I've, I've worked a little bit in food service, the amount of work involved in doing so, it is you are working a minimal 12-hour day every single day. If, if you're the owner, if you're a big manager in a restaurant to begin with, and then you're working on such small margins because it's a very little uh, regulated industry. So you're working on these very small margins because it's very competitive, uh, and this makes it much more difficult. So to get to get to these, a couple quick headlines here, what I got. So we have the founder of BLM in St. Paul, Minnesota, stepped down. This is a Daily Wire piece. I thought this was very interesting. I'm going to actually play a short clip from him talking about why he stepped down from BLM and, and the reason behind it. Uh, play six. No matter your start in life, quality education is a pathway to success. I want the same success for our children in our communities. That's why in 2015, I was a founder of Black Lives Matter in St. Paul. I believe the organization stood for exactly what the name implies. Black lives do matter. However, after a year on the inside, I learned they had little concern for rebuilding black families, and they cared even less about improving the quality of education for students in Minneapolis. That was made clear when they publicly denounced charter schools alongside the teachers union. I was an insider in Black Lives Matter and I learned the ugly truth. The moratorium on charter schools does not support rebuilding the black family, but it does create barriers to a better education for black children. I resigned from Black Lives Matter after a year and a half, but I didn't quit working to improve black lives and access to a great education. Today, I serve as the president and executive director of Minnesota Parent Union. We're dedicated to helping parents move their children from failing schools to successful schools. It's hard work and we're up against forces that don't want us to succeed. But success is possible. Just look at me and the hundreds of children and families we've helped to pursue a great education, break the chains of poverty, and lead a life of success. So yeah, it's a very inspiring story. This dude essentially was a founder of, of that branch over there, BLM, over in St. Paul, Minnesota. He realized that the organization was built around Marxism, cultural Marxism, as well as the uh, the eradication of the nuclear family. And he realized, oh, oh, this the problems in our communities mostly derive from the family unit and education as well. He goes, BLM doesn't care about either one of these things. They don't care about education, get themselves out of out of this poverty, out of the the inner cities. As well as they don't care about the nuclear family and keeping fathers in the home. So why the heck am I hanging around here? And he got out, which is, you know, it's a great story. So this deranged uh, Antifa, they attacked Andy No. I saw this story last night. Andy No. apparently they attacked him. He's in the middle of, uh, I guess he, he must be in Colorado. Because it says the Denver Nuggets. Oh, I'm sorry, in Portland. He's, he still lives. I can't even believe that he still lives in Portland. It's it's outrageous that he still lives there. If I were him, I'd get the hell out. I don't know how. I, I thought he lived, I thought he moved to Tennessee, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was there to cover. But Andy No was there. Uh, there's there's some video. I'm just, I left the, the link because I can't play the video. There's so much obscenity in it. 
These people are truly deranged individuals, these Antifa members. Uh, they're outside of his hotel. Apparently, they beat him up on the street. They were throwing stuff at him. He made it. He somehow was able to make his way back to the hotel. Uh, this is all an emerging story, so there's there's really no video of them whooping him. But he made it into that hotel. They provided him safety. Cops eventually showed up, swarmed the building, and protected him. But apparently, he was already uh, beat up a little bit, from what I've read in the story, which which Andy knows known for. Uh, he's an independent journalist. He goes after it. He doesn't go after Antifa, but he plays their videos, all, all of the malfeasance and all the things that they do, all the just terrible actors, the illegal the illegal activity. So 20 shot dead in Miami-Dade County. Uh, this was a story from a couple days ago. Uh, as of now, I've, I've yet to get the information provided. I have a feeling that it's not a white, a white supremacist attack because the media kind of shut it down right after it happened, shortly thereafter. I have a feeling it's somewhat gang-related. Uh, somebody just shows up and indiscriminately just starts firing in the middle of the street in Miami-Dade County. Uh, 20, 20 injured, 2 dead. And, and that's really all I have right now, all the information I have to provide. So leaked video shows a swarm of UFOs circling the U.S. Navy combat ship. This is a Blaze article. As you can see, I have this picture here. It's from Jeremy Corbell's Instagram feed. And this is this is the sonar, I guess you would call it, or the ra the radar technology that they have. And these are the UFOs circling a U.S. Navy combat ship. There's an actual video, plays about a minute long, but it's just some of the Navy guys trying to figure out what the heck's going on, what is around their their Navy ship. And I think this video is also taken from 2019. So there's another thing that emerged. There's there's been a lot of this alien talk going on right now. I don't exactly know if it's if it's our own stuff that is so confidential and so private and they somehow get kind of near our own combat ships or if it's another entity, if it's another country, I really hope it's not another country. I would hope if anybody has this type of technology, it would be us. But I'm not really exactly sure. Or it could be intergalactic, you know, uh, aliens or whatever, what have you. I think that it has to be true that there's other life forms that are sophisticated enough to think like we are as human beings to to actually reason and critically think i just don't know if they're necessarily here there's they're somewhere because the universe is so vast and so large and it's it's you know light years light years light i mean it's so big that the chances it has to be proud the, the probability it just has to be uh, if i think about it theoretically the chances are just so high that, yes, there are aliens out there. Are they here on Earth right now? Uh, I'm not sure exactly. So $6 trillion budget. Uh, what is this here that I got? Let me see. Oh, dead on arrival. Uh, Republicans are saying that the $6, six trillion budget, Biden's budget proposal is dead on arrival. They're not going to vote it through. There's way too much spending. We don't have the money. We've, we've already spent ourselves into an abyss these last couple of years, especially the last year. So pretty much they're saying they're not going to vote that thing through. We'll see what ends up happening. So there's been some attempts, the very last one I have, there's been some attempts to dethrone the Israeli prime minister right now. The I think there's there's like three strong parties in Israel, and the way their system works is a little different from ours. They have a parliament, and it, it's very weird the way they have it set up. But they have their leader, Benjamin Netanyahu, his opposition party, and then the party that I guess you would call like the Libertarian Party, similar to that, that third party, is actually going to team up with his opposition to attempt to, uh, I guess, take him out from the position as the leader over there. 
and he's saying that it's pretty much a sham. It's a fraud. It's the fraud of the century. All these other things. And I have a feeling that because they're they're left wingers, uh, but they're not super left wing. They're more like moderates. He thinks that this this attack by Hamas and all these other things was kind of all set up politically. Uh, his his response to this politically was covered so that they could kick him off from the position of power. So yeah, that'll that'll conclude this one. I greatly appreciate everyone tuning in. As always, I hope everyone enjoyed their uh, Memorial Day. And uh, you know that's 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 really it. I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. Please like, share, subscribe, drop the mic, let people know about the podcast, and everybody have a great one. Hey.